Well, before we jump into the message today, I want to encourage you. Um, I feel like uh, as a pastor for the last 18 years, I've, I've, had to, I've had to be at church every Sunday. I've maybe in the last 18 years have missed, I don't know, six Sundays. And if I wasn't at church where I was working, I was at another church. But I want to encourage the church. It's fall. Everybody's going back to church, right? Like we, in America, we call it back to church Sunday. Why did we ever leave? So my encouragement is I'm so proud of you for being at church, but let's be consistently at church. Amen? Look what the scripture says here in Hebrews uh, 10, 19. It says, and listen, I don't mean at New Hope Church. It can be any church. There's lots of good churches in Frostproof. Be part of one of them. Look, it says, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most high play, holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opening open for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled of cleansed us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly right? It's not 27. You're not swerving on the highway. It says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Here's the kicker. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Amen. Let's spur each other on. Man, I love being part of the church. We all have different personalities, different, different backgrounds. I was talking to people today. Some were Baptist, right? Some were, uh, they grew up uh, Catholic, Bapticostals, Foursquare, Methodists. That's all good, right? But guess what? We are the church. And you know what? We can spur each other on. So don't, don't be discouraged. Be encouraged. Show up. Be part of a church. It doesn't have to be this church. I've said that for six years as the pastor of New Hope. There's lots of good churches. Amen? You ready to get into the message? You ready? All right. So we are in John 1. This is part three of our series called The Gospel of John. And you know what? This, this series is going to take us past Easter, if you can imagine that. So don't get in, weary in doing good, but we're going to go through the whole Gospel of John. Isn't that going to be awesome? So if you've missed one and two, they're online. Check them out. But today I want to talk about this guy that shows up in chapter one. His name is John the Baptist. And some of you that maybe haven't read your Bible yet, that's okay. Or some of you that aren't into theology yet and you haven't, don't quite understand the Bible, that's okay because we're going to walk us all through it together, okay? John the Apostle is different from this John um, the Baptist. 
The apostle was called by Jesus. He was one of his 12 disciples who walked with him. And then he wrote, inspired by the Holy Spirit, he wrote the book of John, the fourth gospel in the Bible in the New Testament. That's that John. So his, that's the book we're going through. And then a guy shows up in the gospel of John named John the Baptist. Everybody say the Baptist. Amen. So two different fellows. And John the Baptist, a little bit of backstory on him is his mother and father, the Bible says this word, says they were old. And they couldn't have children. And the angel of the Lord came to John's father. And here's what he said. And this is from Luke 1, 11 and on. It says... The angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid. Similar situation that Mary experienced, right? Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. And this is John the Baptist, right? He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or uh, other fermented drink. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. That's pretty special. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. Verse 17 says this, And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and to the disobedient to the wisdom of righteousness, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. I got chills reading that. How special of a word that is about this person who's not even been born yet. So we're, we're getting some background on John the Baptist, and then we'll get to John 1 here in a moment. But I want you to know more about John after Mary, so we got Mary, the mother of Jesus. After Mary found out that she was going to have a son, she goes to her relative Elizabeth, and here's what it says in Luke 1, 41. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was now filled with the what? The Holy Spirit. So we got John. We've got Jesus. They're both in the womb. John is about six months older than Jesus, and they're relatives. They could possibly be cousins. Okay, it doesn't quite say. Maybe, probably they're cousins. So then J John gets kind of doing his ministry. Jesus is doing his thing. And then we find out in Matthew a little bit more um, what kind of guy John the Baptist was. And you may have met a person like this. I remember when I was younger, we had, um, we had a guy in our area. We lived out in the boondocks. Anybody live in the boondocks? Put your hand up. You live in Frostproof. I'm just, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But we lived way out there. And there was a guy on our road who had a beard down to the ground, no power, yeah, maybe. No no power at his house. This was a different sort of guy. And not everybody knew how to 
communicate with the guy. Well, I was nine years old. I thought he was a cool guy. And I would go down by his house. And in the fall where I'm from in Canada, there was apples on all, all of these trees, crab apple trees, regular trees. And we would, we would get these big sticks and we would shove an apple on it and you could fling that thing at least 100 yards. Anyway, we, by his house, they had the best apples. That's how I remember him. His name was Paul. He was a cool guy. So anyway, we've got John, who's also kind of different culturally. Look at this. Matthew 3, 4 to 6. John's clothes were made of camel's hair. Right? Remember, if you watch The Chosen, they call him Creepy John. Remember this? <laughs> I don't know if that's appropriate. And he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. I'll take the wild honey. Maybe he sprinkled it on the locusts to make it taste better. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of Jordan, confessing their sins, and they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. So we start seeing John is starting to do what he was called to do even before his birth. Amen? And then we see him speak here to the people coming to him just a few verses further. It says, I, I baptize you with water for repentance. But after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And what's amazing is not in the Gospel of John. John's is a little bit different, but we see in the other Gospels that John, Jesus comes up to John and like, hey, please baptize me. And he's like, what? You're, you're the guy. You're Jesus. You're the Messiah. He's like, no, I need to be baptized. And when he was baptized, the Spirit of God came on Jesus, and he said what? Anybody remember? This is my son who I'm well pleased. And John got to experience all of that. Okay, now we're caught up. All right, so can we stand? We're going to read the main uh, scripture for today. It's from John 1, verse 22 and 23, and I'll read it to you. It says, finally, they, they said, who are you? They're asking John. Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the path, the way for the Lord. Lord, thank you so much for today. Thank you that you brought us the word. Lord, thank you that you sent people like John and people like John who wrote the book of John to speak to us today in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. You may be seated. So today what we're going to do, you're wondering, wow, we're going through uh, the gospel of John. You're going through all of this. It seems like a lot. Well, today what we're going to do is we're going to focus on five statements from John the Baptist in John 1. And you know what? These five statements 
will change your world if you just grab onto them, or they've already changed your world, and that's why you're here today. And you know what? What I love about going verse by verse through this book is that we, a lot of times if you read the Bible, you'll kind of like, you'll read fairly quick and you'll just kind of go on to the next thing. But today we get to focus on these five, and I'm going to give you the first one. Um, And if you want to write them down, we're going to try to keep them up today as long as we can until I move on to something else. So the first one is, he who comes after me, and this is from verse 15, it says, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was what? Before me. You remember last week we talked about the word, the word was with God, the word was here in the beginning. Remember that? John, just a few few verses later, is like, hey, do you remember who we're talking about here, the word? Well, he was here before me, even though he's six months younger than me. What? <laughs> right? Because we know from the, from the verse before, verse 14 says that he became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus has been here from before time began. Jesus was not created. He is the creator. He is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. Amen? So John, once again, just like last week, we see this amazing truth of Jesus as the eternal being who always is, always was, and will always be. So John, just making sure we're all on the same page again. John was physically born six months before Jesus, right? But yet he's saying, no, no, this, he was before me. And some people like to consider John the Baptist the last Old Testament prophet. Have you heard of that before? Some scholars say, yeah, this is the last, and now he's passing the torch on to Jesus, who's going to fulfill all of these prophecies that the prophets foretold in the years before. And this is the bridge here. John the Baptist is the bridge between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And his role is, guess what? Just like all of the other prophets, is to steer people toward the Savior. To steer people toward Jesus. If you read the Old Testament, we don't want to do away with the Old Testament, church, okay? We like the Old Testament. Guess what it does? It steers us toward Christ. A lot of people are like, well, I just read the New Testament. You're not getting the full picture. The difference between John the Baptist and prophets like Isaiah is guess what? John can be like, you see that guy over there? Right there, yeah, that guy. That's Jesus. That's the guy that all of the prophets in the past have been pointing you toward. And now John shows up on the scene, he's like, yep, that's him. That's pretty special, isn't it? And sending Jesus wasn't a new plan. This was the plan. 
And John is there to say, hey, here's the plan. I'm not the plan. I'm part of the plan. Just like David here on the front row, he's part of the plan, right? Just like Russ on the back row over here, he's part of the plan, right? But Jesus is the plan. Amen? And John the Baptist continued this long-time promise of God declaring the good news to all mankind. All right, so number one, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. We're getting it, aren't we? All right, number two, ever say two? Here it is. Here's his statement. I love this statement. For the law, this is verse 17 of chapter 1, says, For the law was given, I'm not just kind of adding some of my own statement. This is directly from the Gospel of John. For the law was given through Moses. Semi, what is this? Semicolon? Okay. Grace and truth. I did okay in English, but like not that good. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The law through Moses, grace and truth through Jesus Christ. Amen? So we've got this law of Moses. You think of the Ten Commandments, right? The first four Ten Commandments were about how we have a relationship with God, right? Shall have no gods before me. And then you have the last six of the Ten Commandments represent people, right? Do not steal. Well, who are you going to steal from? Somebody, right? So those last six are about people. But then someone comes to Jesus like, well, what's the greatest commandment? Well, he didn't do away with the commandments. He just wrapped them up into two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you're going to love God, you're not going to swear against the Lord. If you love your neighbor, you're not going to steal their spouse. Amen? So, he's saying he is now, he's got the law, and now Jesus comes to bring grace and truth. Who loves the word grace? Amen? Who loves the word truth? It's good to have both, and they're all wrapped up in Christ alone. And here we go. John the Baptist is helping the Jews bridge this idea of like, well, we've got the, we've got the law, right? And you've got the Pharisees. This is, how we, this is how we do it. And then Leviticus has all, even more stuff. And then, and then John's like, no, no, we've got the law through Moses. Jesus came to bring grace and truth. His mission is grace and truth. Jesus is the source of grace and truth. And that's the good news, isn't it? The gospel story is a rescue story. And Jesus is a rescuer. Guess what, church? Before you follow Jesus, you are on the wrong path. The Bible says toward hell and damnation. I don't know about you. That's the wrong path for me. I don't want to do that. But guess what? Jesus came to 
rescue you, and guess what? He's the rescuer. Amen? Right? There was these people on a boat, and they were out in the middle of the ocean. Their engine died, and they're floating out to sea. And all these different people came to rescue them. No, 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 we'll be, we'll be okay. I feel like that's us sometimes, right? When Jesus says, no, I want to rescue you. I'm the rescuer. Or say, no, I'll be okay. I'll, I'll do it on my own, on my own power. So the gospel story is a rescue story. The gospel story is a promise. And Jesus, guess what, is the fulfillment of that promise. The gospel story is all about Jesus Christ and the grace he made available to you. Okay, when I, think of, when I think of the word grace, I think of one song. And you've all heard it before. And at the end of service, we're going to sing it together. But you probably remember the song Amazing Grace. The backstory of this song is that the writer, John Newton, his friend had sinned. He's, he had done all of these different things, and he just couldn't quite get his life together. So guess what happened? He got into this spiral, this downward spiral of depression. And John Newton's like, man, I, I really want my friend to understand God's grace. Like, you're forgiven. And I think there's a lot of stories like that in this room where you've done something You've caused harm, you've done, you've made really poor decisions, you've sinned, you fall, what's the Bible say? You fall short of God's glory, you miss the mark, right? If you're shooting arrows, you've, like, the target's over there and you hit somewhere over here. I feel like a lot of us can be in that boat. But Jesus came to bring grace to you. And here's some of the words of the song. It says, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. T'was grace that taught my heart to fear. And grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. This grace that brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. Church, look this way. Jesus came to give you grace. Accept the grace. It's a gift. Amen? If you don't accept it, you don't open up the package, it's on you. God says grace to you today. Amen? Everybody say number three. A number three, here it is. I love this statement. Here it is. I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the path for the Lord. That's verse 23. I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. He's laying the groundwork for Jesus. He said, remember, I came to baptize for sin Jesus comes to baptize you in the Spirit and with passion, with fire. Amen? 
Remember, look at this, back a couple verses. I love, I love this. The religious leaders of the day are asking John the Baptist, like, who are you? You've got some, you got your camel hair on. You've got a beard to the floor. You've got no power. None of them did. Um, you're eating locusts and honey. And now you're baptizing people. Who are you? Well, let's look at this conversation. John 1, 21. They asked him, who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I'm not. <laughs> are you a prophet? He answered, no. We kind of consider him a prophet, but that's okay. Verse 22. Finally, they said, who are you? Can I tell you a quick story? <laughs> when I was 18 years, and this is going to help right here. When I was 18 years old, my I, Lindsay, Tara, and my friend named Scott drove from New Brunswick, Canada to Wachula, Florida. It was an epic adventure. At the time, Tara was just my friend. I'm like, no, no. That's the one. I'm going to marry that one. And so we traveled. Well, we didn't want to stay anywhere because it was like, you know, mixed company and we're Christians. We're like, all right, we're just, we'll just drive the whole way. So what? 34 hours later, we wind up in Wachula, Florida. For me, it's like a, a foreign planet. There's lizards and palm trees and everybody, at least where they were, the driveways were like beach, shell, sand. I'm like, what's happening so they leave, they leave me and Scott at Tara's parents' house, and we're sleeping, we're reclining at the, on the couch because we are tired. It's about the middle of the afternoon, and we're, we're having a great nap. And I start hearing rustling noises. I'm like, what is that noise? I'm like, Tara, Lindsay. And about 10 seconds later, I hear this woman say, who are you? In a really thick southern accent. Who are you? Did I get it? That's pretty close. Who are you? So I, got, I jump up really fast. And at least I wasn't like, you know, I was maybe her height, so I wasn't like, that scary. Well, then my friend, who's like 6'3", with red hair and a scraggly beard, gets up, and she's like, her eyes get this big, and she starts backing out the door. And I say, I'm your, I'm your, I'm your daughter's friend. She's like, Michelle? I said, no, Tara, Tara's friend. And so finally, we convinced her. We talked her down off the ledge of pulling out her peacemaker. Because I forgot I wasn't in Canada anymore. <laughs> People carry those things here. And I just remember that, that line, who are you? And really, look at this. John, he's having a similar situation. He's like, who are you? What are you doing? Anyway, to finish the story off a little bit for you, um, Tara and Lindsay were coming back a little later. We said, 
Miss Rose, and this was my mother-in-law now, who, that's how she met me. So welcome home. Um, so we said, hey, now that you're like, you're cool with us, you're not going to shoot us. When Tara and Lindsay come, we'll just pretend that you don't know who we are. And so we ran out in the front yard and said, your mom's got a gun. <laughs> she doesn't know who we are. And Tara's like, oh, no. Anyway, luckily enough, John the Baptist didn't have this situation happen. So who are you? Verse 22, give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. Why do you say about yourself? What do you say about yourself? And I love his reply. John 1.23 says, John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness, make straight the way for the Lord. The religious leaders wanted to know who John was. And you know what's awesome about John the Baptist? He wasn't interested in answering that question the way they wanted him to. He, want, he went directly, he, he put his title aside and went directly to his mission here. Can we do the same? Are we humbled? Be like, hey, I'm here to, here to preach the word. I'm here to serve people. I'm here to love people. He wanted to talk about his mission, and his mission was here to prepare the way of the Messiah. He could have said, I am John the baptizer. Right? He could have given his title. I'm the one that the Spirit of the Lord came to my father and said that you will have a son and he will prepare the way of the Lord. He didn't say that, did he? His title didn't matter to him. He was there to prepare the way of the Lord. His baptism prepared people, cleansing them of the coming king. The idea was, get cleaned up, get ready. There's a royal visitor coming. Church. Church. Get cleaned up. That's the first coming. Get cleaned up. Jesus is coming back. Amen. Get ready for a royal visit. And this time he's taking over everything. We got an election on Tuesday. Vote. Definitely do your voting. But when he shows up, we won't have to worry about Democrats and Republicans, because Jesus will come and be like, no, 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 no. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, we're ending all that, and he's going he's gonna to reign, rule and reign for a thousand years, and then there's eternity after that. So church, let's prepare the way. Let's get cleaned up. There's a royal visitor coming, and it's the one and only Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. Amen? Shouldn't that be our mission, too? Listen, John the Baptist, hey, he's a special guy. I'm not going to say he's not, but guess what? You're special. You can prepare the way of the Lord. Amen? When you follow Jesus, guess what? Now your new title, preparer of the way. Right? 
Amen. What's your purpose? All right, number four. Everybody say four. I love this one. And this is, like I said, this is another statement of John from the same chapter. This is the same situation. And I, I, I would say go back this week and read John 1. It says, look. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So as John is having this conversation with all of these people, Jesus rolls up. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Maybe in heaven we'll get to see like the visual of that. Because this happened. This is not just some story. This, this is history. This happened. Imagine that moment as John is preparing the way he sees Christ and says to everyone around, look, as in right over there. Don't worry about me. Here he is, the Messiah, the one that will save you from your sin. So imagine right here at the very beginning of Christ and his three years of ministry. In John 1, he gets a title, The Word. And then he gets another title, The Light of the World. And then he gets another title, The Lamb of God, who, guess what, takes away the sin of the world. Quite a title. You know, John didn't present Jesus as this moral great example or teacher he proclaimed Jesus the sacrifice for all mankind. The Lamb of God. In other versions, it says, Behold, look, the Lamb of God who takes away. In a sentence, John summarized the greatest work of Jesus. And you notice that this is not a, uh, sorry. This was not just a, hey, he's going to take away your sin. This was plural. All the darkness. Because guess what? Light has shown up, showed up. Behold, look. John used this image of this sacrificial lamb, and you'll see it all throughout the Old Testament, right? Because John's here to bridge that gap. He already talked about Moses to Jesus, right? He's talking about, hey, you remember the lamb that we've been talking about? He is the lamb before the foundation of the world. He is the lamb of God himself that provided for Abraham 
as a substitute for Isaac. He is the Passover lamb for Israel. He is the lamb for the guilt offering in the Levitical sacrifices. He is Isaiah's lamb to the slaughter that it talks about. Each of these lambs fulfilled their role in death. This was an announcement that Jesus would die and be sacrificed for all of us, for the world, for the sin of the world. Right? Because none of these lambs before this could take away all the sin. These were just representations of when Christ comes. And finally, here's the last one. You ready? Number five. And this one's kind of hard, so we're going to just kind of read it slowly in your mind, too, after I read it, because it's, it's kind of hard to understand just the wording in English. So it says, the man of, on whom you see the Spirit come down. So pause there for a second. They would have seen after Christ was baptized by John that the Spirit came down on him. And remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. Look here in Matthew. This will remind you of what happened. Matthew 3, 13. It says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be, I need to be baptized by you. But you come to me? Verse 15 says, Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. So this is the moment. So John is saying, hey, look here. This is Jesus. I baptize with water. You will be baptized in the Spirit. Now, I've, I've been to all sorts of churches. And I've preached on the Holy Spirit. And all churches love that God is God the Father. Amen? And they love that Jesus is the Son. But when they get to the Holy Spirit, like, well. But church, we believe that you can be baptized. That means fully immersed in God's Spirit. And as we go through John, the Gospel of John, we'll talk more and more about it. Because you'll see it sprinkled in throughout the whole book. And it will make you a believer in God filling you with his Spirit. Amen. Can we stand before we go today? I want to challenge you this week. Read John 1. And most importantly this morning, will you accept God's grace today? As we, let's, let's sing this song, Amazing Grace, together, because I believe that God wants to say, hey, I have a gift for you. And my gift for you is grace and truth. Just like I spoke through John the Baptist, I want to speak to you in this moment. Amen. Lord, thank you for our, your amazing grace to us, your church. 
Lord, I pray that today that we would embrace your grace today. Lord, that we would let you take control of our life and help us to grow in victory, grow in freedom, that our addictions would be gone, that we would declare you as Lord of our life, Lord of our house, Lord of our church. In Jesus' name, the church said. Come on, church, we celebrate today.